0: I'm Fathery.
1: And I'm Brian.
0: And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship, Texas, for the 172nd installment of the Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new, and proud members of the Treksphere Network. Tonight we are talking about Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 6, Kubiashi, written by Aaron J. Waltke and directed by Alan Wan. Um, before we uh, we talk about that though, I just want to remind everyone that we're gonna have five weeks of Prodigy starting tonight. Uh, the the first Star Trek episode of the new year of 2022, uh, and that will run from this week until we get into early February. Then February 10th is actually the return of Star Trek Discovery. So if if you're uh, looking forward to more Discovery. And hearing us discuss that, we'll be doing that weekly on Friday nights as well. And then hopefully we'll go into Picard and the other shows. Brian, before we get started with our topic, I did want to kind of share everyone my my forecast of the year. This is how I, I think Paramount Plus might decide to release Star Trek that's coming in 2022. Th- this is just based on some of the things that they've said and... My intuition, uh, I am pretty confident they're not going to want to double up Discovery and Picard in February. I think they're going to end up pushing Picard, which was announced for season two to premiere in, in February. They haven't given an official exact date. I think they're just going to push that back because those are you know, the two big shows on Paramount Plus. They're not going to want to release them at the same time. So they've told us that Strange New Worlds should be ready in the spring and that Lower Decks should come back around the same time as the last two seasons, so that means August, first half of August. Yeah, so what I think will happen in 2022 is that we'll get six, or I'm sorry, we'll have these five episodes of Prodigy of running from January 6th until February 3rd, followed by the remaining six episodes of Discovery Season 4 from February 10th to March 17th, Happy St. Patty's Day. Then on March 24th, I think that's when they'll finally drop Picard, assuming they don't want like a gap between Discovery and Picard if if they're just going to keep the train rolling and have new Star Trek every week. So we know that'll be a a 10-episode season, so that would mean Picard would run from March 24th until May 26th. And then Strange New Worlds, they've told us it's coming in the spring. That that could come out on the following week, June 2nd. That's also going to be 10 episodes, so it would run until August 4th. So August 11th, you know, that's around the time we're supposed to expect Star Trek Lower Decks, according to Mike McMahon. That'll be 10 episodes, so that takes us from August 11th to October 13th. And if Lower Decks wraps on October 13th, that leaves just enough room in the year to get those 10 remaining Prodigy episodes they told us to expect. Season 1, episodes 11 through 20, those could release from October 20th until December 22nd. Which takes us right up to Christmas, and we know that they're saying the Motion Picture Director's Edition 4K will premiere on Paramount Plus sometime in December. So, hey, why not release that on Christmas? Give us Trekkie something to watch, you know, that last week of the year. And uh, that's how I'm just gonna predict 2022 shaping up. Um, we'll see if I'm right or wrong. I just wanted to like have it on record. This is what uh, <laughs> this is what I'm thinking. So we'll see. We'll see how correct or incorrect I am. It might be fun to uh, to keep up with.
1: Yes. Yeah, the Oracle has spoken,
0: <laughs> but I, I admit now that things could easily change and get shifted around and moved and uh, who knows, um, but we're this... not
1: going to get the future we saw in all good things.
0: <laughs> You'll just get something kind of close to it. The the comm badge will have a silver back instead of gold. Um, <laughs> you know, it's still kind of the same shape. Um, But yeah, and then, uh, you know, Picard season three, they unfortunately had to shut down production. Uh, The news broke yesterday because of a COVID outbreak. Um, Well, I don't know if you call it outbreak because it it sounded like they were returning from their their holiday hiatus. And the people they they were testing them coming back to work and there were 50 people tested positive. So they shut down production. But today, Terry Metalis tweeted that they are back up and running. So uh, I, I think that we'll have Picard. That'll be the first Star Trek show of 2023. And then Str- Strange New Worlds, it sounds like, is about to start production in about a month. So that, I think that'll be the next one. I th- 2023, we'll probably get Picard season three early in the year, you know, unless there's more delays. And then Strange New Worlds season two in the spring of next year. And then we're also going to supposedly have that new film by the WandaVision director, Matt Shackman. If they if they stick to the, you know, what their plans are now, I think they're going to be starting production on that in a couple of months, uh, sometime around April. And that will, that you know, according to what Paramount is saying, that will come out in December of 2023. That's the current release date they have planned, so.
1: You mentioned Comm Badges, and something occurred to me that isn't really tied to this episode, but Prodigy in general, Um <laughs> I would have had, I think they missed a trick. I would have had all of the, the kids wearing their comm badges in funky, weird, wrong ways to begin with. And then as they get more Starfleet, they start wearing them more correctly like Janeway does. Like, mm. have one who wears it on their sleeve, like the Romulan communicator. And another person, you know, maybe have it turn 90 degrees so it's like pointing sideways and looks kind of, you know, rebellious. Yeah. And, so, you know, someone they, has they, it
0: on the, on the right side instead of the left side.
1: Yeah, yeah, or, you yeah. know, maybe uh rock rock talk puts it on her forehead. You know, they could, <laughs> they could have had a lot of fun with that and uh, instead everyone's wearing them correctly right o- even the Medusa <laughs> right out of the right out of the gates. So,
0: well, there's some fun to be had with com badges within this episode that I'm sure we will talk about in a moment. Let's just go ahead and I guess dive in to Kobayashi. Uh, it's funny, uh, just a uh, few weeks ago, I guess uh, two months ago, I should say we had an episode of Star Trek Discovery called Kobayashi Maru, and now we have an episode of Prodigy called Kobayashi. So,
1: is that why? Okay, I was wondering why they didn't just call this one Kobayashi Maru. But you're right. There yeah, that was, was the another... season
0: four premiere of. Yeah,
1: because yeah, it just felt weird to me that I didn't see why you would drop the Maru, which is that's <laughs> ship, right? That 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 tra- the Maru part translates as ship. I think it's a ship Kobayashi. Is uh, one of
0: the uh, one of the words means ship. I'm not sure which one, yeah, but...
1: I think it's Maru is the okay. ship part, but uh, I could be wrong. Anyway, it, since they're on a ship for the whole episode, it felt <laughs> weird you'd admit the ship part. But now I see. They didn't... Having two episodes named Kobayashi Maru in production at the same time <laughs> would probably be more confusing than anything, anyone really wants to deal with, so...
0: <laughs> Well, before we get into our own opinions on the episode, I just want to give a quick recap of it by reading the official synopsis, and then I'll kind of expand on that with spoilers. Um, But the official synopsis reads, As Gwen struggles to find her role aboard the USS ProtoStar, Dow tests his leadership skills in the newly discovered holodeck. So yeah, basically, uh, Dal discovers the holodeck, Janeway gives them a tutorial on what it is, how it functions, he decides to take the kobayashi Maru, which does not go well as it is intended, it's supposed to be a no-win scenario, and uh, he does eventually end up learning a lesson from it, and we have uh, a vehicle for some Star Trek Legacy cameos. At the same time, Uh, Gwen and Zero and Janeway investigate the secrets of the Protostar, and we find out that a uh, big reveal that this ship once belonged to a Captain Chakotay. And uh, the the mysteries around it kind of uh, so multiply. <laughs> they don't really get reduced, but we have we end up with more questions than what we had to begin with. Brian, I'll let you go first, uh, but just give us your opening statement and let us know your, your broad impression of the episode and then we'll talk about it in more detail in a moment
1: um I I, I thought this was a lot of fun uh, they they have are teasing the answers to the big questions that we've all had since episode one um, and uh, the questions that probably people who don't know star trek who are watching the show hadn't even nece- d- probably don't care about it all but for those of us who are star trek fans we want the answers um and it looks like we're finally going to at least start getting some next week um, and that was nice to uh and uh, yeah i i was i went into this episode with me and my wife and my best friend and we're all kind of like ah oh, I, w- I wish this was another discovery I mean, we're gonna have to rush prodigy we all came out of it saying okay that was great we we have no no regrets that was that perfectly held its own and uh um and and uh, we were quite happy with it at the end even though when we right before we hit play we were all complaining that it wasn't an episode of discovery uh so yeah it it, it landed well a good episode i don't know if we Push things as far forward as we could have, but it's it's a nice character episode. Those bottle ones you do when you can't afford to do alien planets, so everyone stays on the ship and just angst at each other for for well forty minutes or twenty minutes in this case.
0: But we did we didn't so. see a bunch of locations in the holodeck, so that would have that would have actually been difficult. Well, today I guess you could do it with CGI. You just CGI all those environments, but traditionally that would be, be this would have been an expensive episode in live action.
1: Well, yes. I mean, hiring all those big name actors to come back is, it would have been expensive. <laughs> oh, not even that,
0: but just like when, when they're, they're jumping around to the different locations, that would yeah. have been hard to pull off or, or expensive so, to pull off. Yeah. Or it would have been no, one I of those mean, kind of, uh, very green screeny looking uses of the holodeck.
1: Yeah. I mean, didn't they do one of those in uh they did what they did a bunch of jumping in, um, what disco disco season one? They yeah, in uh
0: context as for kings, when Lorca's giving yeah. the context as for kings speech, but that was the uh yeah. the spore drive. Um yeah. which I'm still not really sure exactly what happened there. Was Burnham being transported? Was it just like a display of other environments connected to the mycelium network? Yeah. <laughs> they they were they were still figuring it out. But uh, anything else?
1: Honestly, that was about it. I liked it a lot. I don't know if I mean it had a there were there was a a bit of a morality message in there, but it was very explicit at the end with the <laughs> spock so I don't know if there's much point literally in spells it out. it
0: out but yeah yeah it's okay you know, I guess
1: that's fine, especially for you know it's supposed to be a le- – it's literally a lesson that the kid is playing it's a school lesson the kid's playing on the on the holodeck so it should be pretty obvious at the end of the lesson what what the what the message is.
0: <laughs> well, um for me, you know, one of my big takeaways from this episode is uh we have confirmation the show is keeping the promise that the producers have made that it will look and feel more Star Trek, you know, more like traditional Star Trek or standard Star Trek or however you want to describe that, but yeah, just it it is definitely becoming more of a star trek vibing show uh the longer it goes on
1: yeah this this doesn't feel <laughs> at all like star wars
0: oh no, yeah un- unlike the first episode no,
1: yeah no version i mean there were lingering bits of star wars all the way through but not this episode does not feel like anything <laughs> star wars would ever do
0: it's kind of like a trojan horse star trek it's like a lot of a lot of star <laughs> trek put in a a star wars shaped trojan horse and it, it yes. sneaks in with that, that first uh, two part episode, and then the thing just gets more trekky the more you watch. A- after six episodes, we've we've already seen that pattern. Yeah,
1: the horse pops open, and a third nacelle comes out, and boom, <laughs> <Yep>. off <laughs>
0: he goes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the memorable thing here, of course, is going to be the Kobayashi Maru simulation on the holodeck. All of that stuff, uh, which uh, was a a lot of fun you could make the argument that the show might have too much fun with that i wasn't expecting to see and hear all those familiar faces and voices though i had a a overall good time with that but a little a, a few times i thought the novelty was kind of wearing off uh before we got to the the end sadly i i felt they might have overused some of the repurposed dialogue just a bit too much but generally no that was a lot of fun i uh did not expect that and The most important thing, though, is that in addition to those holodeck sequences, uh, all the stuff with Dal was very satisfying to me. You know, he's supposed to be kind of the annoying, snot-nosed, cocky little kid, and he's going to grow and mature over time. And so they are showing how they're going to develop him. Um, Hopefully he takes more steps forward and, and we can actually explore more of that growth. And also the stuff going on in the B story with Gwen and Janeway and Zero. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm also pretty curious. What's the diviner's mission? What's the original purpose of the ship? What does the diviner uh, want to use with it? And what will that purpose be? So, moved the, the overall larger story arc along as well. We can go ahead and get into our episode breakdown, where we're just gonna take pretty much every beat from the episode and discuss it. And we're gonna start at the very beginning with the opening of the episode, where the protostar is seen exiting from Proto Warp. Or proto drive, whatever they want to call it. I, I think they, they might have used both terms at some point, but they have escaped from the Diviner, and the proto star has ended up in the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, Jankum, Rock Talk, and Zero all want to go to the Federation, and find sanctuary and Federation space, hope, hoping they can you know show up as refugees trying to escape the Diviner. But Dal's still suspicious of the Federation; he doesn't want to go. And uh, Dal and Gwen talk to each other in sick bay. A little conversation there, and we get the uh, Janeway holodeck tutorial. Uh, Brian, what did you think of right off the bat, you know, finding out that this ship, we kind of thought they were going to be coming towards the Federation, but no, they actually went from the the Delta Quadrant to the Gamma Quadrant.
1: I I figured it was going to be some huge number. I... I mean given the way warp speeds are usually quoted i even 100 uh, even a few hundred light years would have been a, a fast engine but yeah 4000 <laughs> sure why not
0: <laughs> yeah that's, um, that's a does, lot
1: <laughs> yeah it does allow uh, given that it this apparently is a matter of minutes later uh apparently
0: we don't know we don't know the exact amount of time but even even if it had been 24 hours, that's still a long, I mean, it would take Voyager like a, a year to go, or I mean, I'm sorry, four yeah. years to go that far. So I, I yeah, I think it it was only like 20 minutes at the most is what I think it probably yeah. was.
1: Yeah, I, I w- if I had just fired up a new drive that even the onboard expert, Hollow way couldn't exactly explain <laughs> what the heck this was, I would run it long enough to get away from the bad guys. Clearly, that's the number one goal. But I don't know if I would just sit there and keep... My pe- the pedal to the metal for <laughs> a long time until I without knowing what the heck was happening or how far I was going. So my assumption was that it was a matter, you know, ten minutes or something that they ran it before they said, "Okay, okay, that's enough. Let's let's figure out what 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 we just did." So I I do find I I kind of want them to really address the issue of why is Doll the captain. Uh, I mean, they, they point out a self-appointed captain and I'm kind of like, yeah, that, that kind of, maybe the rest of the group kind of needs to either affirm that they're down with that or affirm, you know, or discuss why they're not down with that. Um, because at the moment he's just the captain because he's pushing everyone around. Um, so yeah, he's he's
0: the only one who's going around calling himself the captain. So <laughs>
1: Yeah. We've mentioned this before, but in any other TV show, Dahl saying, Oh no, we don't want to go to the Federation with their stolen ship. They might lock us they'll probably just lock us up for stealing it. Actually that would be the smart thing to do. In any other TV show, that would be the smart guy. And everyone else <laughs> would be the not smart people who are looking for this panacea of El of El Dorado or whatever. Uh, and and the cities of gold and you're like no no you're not going to find that we need to be realists here uh, and and stay focused on on the situation instead of imagining the grass is greener interesting the way that plays out that he's wrong uh, right here but only because on on a metatextual level we we know things that the characters in the show do not know
0: I actually heard the writer of this episode uh, Aaron Waltke. Talk about. He's also uh, one of the main producers on the show. But I heard him talk about uh, writing Dal in a recent interview, where he 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 kind of acknowledges some of the things you're bringing up. Where he he says, "Yeah, this kid has always had to be, be kind of uh, you know street smart and look out for himself and uh, be very self reliant. And yeah, he's not used to trusting other people." Or you know it makes sense why he wouldn't trust like a big organization like the Federation. He, I I am under the assumption you know he's never had like a positive experience with any type of authority, so it's all going to be stuff that has to be discovered by him and and learned by him. know, I did like that when the the other three kids are talking to him about how they want to go to the Federation. They do bring up like uh well you're kind of just like the self appointed captain. We don't uh, we don't actually agree to, to following your orders and. They want to, you know, they want to vote on it. And they're like, you know, we outnumber you. That's that's when they want to look for Murph when Dal's like, oh, wait, where, where's Murph? And then we find out he's freezing in the, the holodeck, which is <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I, kn- I knew he was on the holodeck because there was nowhere cold on that last planet they were on.
1: But if you didn't know anything about Star Trek, you might not realize where this is going.
0: Yeah, so. it would have been confusing when they, they do that smash cut yeah. to uh, to. Poor little Murph yeah. looking like he's he's lost in a blizzard.
1: I, yeah, I think it was deliberately designed to be confusing. I don't think that was a case of them assuming... Right. I think they wanted to mess with the audience. No, I, I,
0: Another Star Trek writer, Ron Moore, I actually heard him say something uh, that I, I thought was really cool about writing television. And this is when he was working on Battlestar Galactica, but it can apply to any show. He said, people always talk about how audiences are, are are dumb and you have to, you know, write down to your audiences. And, and he says, I, I don't believe that. I actually think like most viewers are pretty smart. Everyone's seen enough media that uh, everyone's, you know, pretty savvy about story structure and can understand where things are going if it's too obvious. And the actual trick is not writing so that things are clear to the audience but what he finds to be the bigger challenge is writing things that can confuse them for a little bit and then you have the reveal and you know the satisfaction of when you actually can put the pieces together and you understand everything yeah yeah sometimes stories are supposed to confuse you for a little bit we got our first look right at the proto star sickbay we hadn't seen it before uh yeah it looks kind of similar to the brig set though like it's all or the mess hall <laughs> or the captain's quarters it's all like <laughs> those hard metal floor It'd be, I, I i really miss the starfleet carpet in in the captain's quarters and in the sick bay those there's like the two places you need like that starfleet carpet i i feel
1: uh, you don't want to be having to clean all those bodily fluids and blood That's out true. of the carpets I, I could totally see sick bay i mean certainly in a it, it could be magic self-sterilizing carpet i assume in the future but But, you know, from a practical view, you probably want your floors to be as as simple as possible in sickbay, so they're easy to clean. Um, I didn't even... At first, I wasn't sure if she was still in the brig. It was the... They didn't do a terribly good, at least in my impression, of of establishing shots. Uh, And I was like, what's going on? Where are we? And, oh, she's not in the brig. Okay, she's not locked up. Okay. And that makes sense, given what happened last episode, but... Uh, I, I wasn't entirely clear what I was seeing. It's all the lights are off. I guess she's supposed to be all dark and depressed and moody because let's right. face it. She's in a very sucky part place in life. <laughs> <laughs> the crew of the ship kind of hate her maybe. And her, her dad, dad hates just her. left her to die. <laughs> She's the last of her species. There's nobody else to call upon. She's at the mercy of this, these group of kids who are, A, don't really like her much, and B, are clearly idiots.
0: So, you know. Well, they have to, they have to show us that she is sad. Cause then when we see her being sad, it reminds us like, oh yeah, she actually like feels bad about being a bad guy before. And now like, she's going to be a good guy, you know, keep keeping it pretty simple for the young audience. But, uh, They have the line of dialogue here that I liked where she thanks Del for, you know, coming back and rescuing her, pulling her out of those tentacles that were trying to devour her on the murder planet. And he says, yeah, Janeway wouldn't let us leave until we had everybody. But we later learned, no, it was actually his idea. He was the one who who voiced. Oh, no, we got to go get her. Yeah, I think you actually talked about that. When we cover that episode, Brian, you said, like, I would have liked to have seen the conversation where they decide, like, do we go get Gwen or not? And then they they decide to go do it. But I like the way that they they played it here as kind of a mystery. Then we get like the payoff reveal later of like, oh, no, actually, Dow did want to. It was his idea.
1: Yeah, I retract my complaint from before. It's clear <laughs> that they knew what they were doing by omitting that scene. It wasn't just oh, nobody wants to see this. It was no, we can set up a more interesting bit of plot hijinks if we keep the audience in in the dark the same way Gwen is in the dark about the situation. So so good for them. Uh they they, they my impre- my my respect for the writers has improved on, on that particular point. So uh,
0: in in the dark when she's literally sitting in the sick bay in the dark, but we. Yeah. We see sickbay with the lights turned on later, although there's still not like a ton of detail in there. Yeah. And speaking of seeing parts of the ship, we see Jank and Pog find the holodeck, find Murph is in there. And Janeway gives both the audience who might be watching Star Trek for the first time and hearing the word holodeck for the first time, but also gives these characters, their little holodeck tutorial. Uh, we, we get to see the holodeck set with the, Holograms turned off is, is really this, big on the The small Starfleet ship has one of the biggest holodecks.
1: I at first I thought that was dumb. That, that why would you have such a huge holodeck given that they're pretty darn? We've seen that a smaller holodeck is still pretty darn good at fooling yeah. you into thinking it's a yeah, large. Yeah, Quark's Hollow
0: Suite is tiny. Yeah.
1: yeah. And they do all sorts of crazy stuff in there. Uh, You put a whole casino in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They fight the Battle of the Alamo in there. But then I realized that that works because you have a limited number of people because you can just basically put a holographic basically build a little hollow uh, ball around each person. So even though they think they're uh, half a mile apart, they're actually standing right next to each other, but their computer's putting fake holograms in between the two of them. But the more people you add, the trickier that's going to be. So the Hmm. selling point of a big holodeck is you can put a lot of people on it. And if you've got a ship that's going to be out in the middle of nowhere and have a very limited number of resources, being able to just dial up a whatever you need on the holodeck, basically like a giant replicate room replicator, um, like how they replicate the shuttles, actually could be pretty useful for a variety of other purposes and stuff. So you might, I can see if this ship is not supposed to swing by starbases very often, why you would want to invest in a big holodeck. Uh, For a ship, just one big ass holodeck for a ship like this rather than several small ones. So I'd still want, I'm still looking for the day we get a floor plan of this ship, because if they keep adding big rooms in here, it's going to get, it's going to run out of space real fast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're starting to run out of, uh, we're starting to run out of ProtoStar real estate every time they they show us a new room. It was cool seeing Janeway explain how you can use the holodeck for all these different recreational or educational or whatever type of scenarios and uh you know even like so i love that they put the count dracula thing in there you, you know you can you can fight on vulcan with Libras or you can go battle count dracula like those are all options <laughs> it was, it's like oh yeah it made me think like oh yeah there's never been a a dracula <laughs> hollow deck <laughs> adventure in um in star trek it seems like something they would have done and you know the berman era when they were using every other famous piece of fiction from the 1800s <laughs> Uh, Oh, and and of course, Jane Eyre as well, but...
1: I believe vampires have shown up in the novels, in some sort of sci-fi version of them, but I don't think...
0: Well, in Star Trek, Trek, Brian, we have had salt vampires since uh, the very beginning, September 8th, 1966, when we started the whole thing. Yeah. I, (laughs) I was thinking
1: more of... The 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 Remans were heavily leaning on Nasfiratu oh, yeah. image, and they did want to steal Picard's blood. I, so I
0: think that was even in the script by John Logan. It it, des- yeah. it, it described the characters as looking Nasferatu esque.
1: Yeah, it was. I was amused by Janeway saying, oh, you could just play your stick and uh, your, your ball and cone game.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I think she was doing that to tease him intentionally, to make him... Yeah, but given that the game works you, by,
1: by by giving you little almost mini orgasms, I was like, is that like the, the safe way to say go fuck yourself in a children's <laughs> children's star trek show oh yeah that little game that gives you orgasm yeah just go play with that that's all you're ready for boys (laughs)
0: well i don't know i don't know if that's actually how that game normally functions or if that was just that one uh, alien plot to take over the enterprise and that next generation episode of the game but it looks like it'd be kind of a boring game otherwise though
1: yeah if it didn't give you hits of heroin every few few minutes
0: (laughs) but uh Let's get into that stuff after after Dahlia yeah, does d- discover the Kobayashi Maru scenario. And Brian, do you want to tell us, um, you know, what happens when when Dahl decides to uh, test his metal in the Kobayashi Maru simulation?
1: Really. Dahl has his first attempt at running the or playing testing the uh, the the Kobayashi Maru. Um, which is uh, amusingly on the Enterprise D bridge and with a hodgepodge of crews that feel like they came out of a Star Trek collectible card game. Um, (laughs) And uh, he he does not do well at all. And I mean, that should be no surprise to anyone, but at least Dahl finds a way to do not well on the Kobayashi Maru in a new and and innovative way that we have not seen before. (laughs) Or even envisioned in many cases.
0: I I love... love that his first reaction when he's like oh do do any of you know these people on the Kobayashi Maru that are sending us this distress call it's like oh well let's just uh okay this is going to be easy to win this let's just set a course and uh, take off at warp and get the hell out of here yeah. <laughs> but what what made that even better is that he's playing with you know this recreation of these Star Trek heroes and how they all were outraged it was like oh yeah these are actually pretty pretty good uh replicas of uh, Uhura Odo, Spock and Dr Crusher which was an interesting combination. Uh, the stuff is fun but none of it makes a ton of sense like Uhura is a communications officer but she's at the op station. Odo is not even part of Starfleet. He was basically <laughs> like a cop on a on a space station. He, it was, you know very different from being tactical officer and he's sitting he's sitting at the the, the helm Helms, station, the station instead yeah. of at the top of the horseshoe um, but but you know whatever it this really felt more like playing a video game. Like I, Brian, I've done the Kobayashi Maru in uh, the Star Trek Bridge Crew VR game, or you know in Star Trek Online. So I I felt like yeah, this was would just be like in a video game where you just pick whatever you have like a character selection menu screen like in Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter or something yeah. you just pick the characters you want and put them wherever you want on the bridge
1: i, I just unlocked spock i'm totally using yeah. him so
0: yeah oh uh, you you got to pay the dlc though to get them in the monster maroon skin oh yeah you got you got to you got to pay for that you got to buy the dlc
1: otherwise you just get 60 spock so- <laughs>
0: Oh, that was another thing—is the uh, the different the different eras. They're also fighting the Klingons, but in a twenty fourth century galaxy class, when things are mostly yeah. peaceful with the Klingons, <laughs> yes. uh, there, there's not a neutral zone in the twenty fourth yeah. century.
1: This this but... version of the test is very much a pre undiscovered country version of the test, and yet the computer <laughs> automatically sets it on a galaxy class starship, which makes me wonder. Where, who, who put this together, who put together a, 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 a setup. I mean, the computer apparently randomizes who showed up because it was asked to do that. So the fact that the crew doesn't make sense, it makes sense weirdly, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the combination of a galaxy class with the, uh, with it being a pre, a 23rd century situation with the Klingons, instead of just say swapping out the Romulans. Uh, or, you know, putting, swapping the Klingons for Romulans or something, which would have made it perfectly up to date for the 24th century, especially since Romulans were always the ones with the neutral zone in the first place. But, uh, yeah, yeah it was well, weird.
0: <laughs> you know, Tuvok, he doesn't call it the Kobayashi Maru by name, yeah. but Tuvok does run those, those Maquis slackers in the Voyager season one finale episode learning curve. Yeah. He he runs them through a bunch of, of drills and tutorials and stuff and mm they do a simulation on the bridge and there it it was a a romulan warbird that is attacking them in a very almost identical scenario as what we sure. see in the opening of Wrath of Khan or Star Trek 09 I guess
1: okay so yeah that's kind of i, I know in that i think in, i know in the novels i think they swapped in romulans as well uh but i'd forgotten about that voyager episode um, so that's a little weird. Uh they they keep saying Klingon battle cruisers and then showing us uh birds of birds prey, of prey. <laughs> which I guess they're supposed to be those monstrous six hundred meter long cavort class bird of prey or something and we're just... or there's
0: there might be some, you know, katingas uh off the port side of the ship or something and we just yeah. we're we're never looking at the view screen yeah. whenever they're on the view screen.
1: I, I yeah, I was wondering what was going on with that, and the only answer I could come up with is we have a crashed Bird of Prey earlier in the series, and maybe they didn't want to build a whole new Bird of, Prey, uh, Klingon ship model. Yeah, they re just...
0: the same CGI model.
1: Yeah. They're, they're
0: also, like, more iconic. I mean, I actually prefer the Katingas and the D7 type design, but I, I think most people, when they think Klingon ship, uh, because of the, the movies and the Berman era, they think of Birds of Prey. Yes,
1: but since they're replicating a test that we've seen, and they've always been D sevens in two different timelines, or something very close to a D seven in both in both timelines, uh, it feels weird that they're they're not doing a some sort of D seven ish looking thing out there.
0: <laughs> and like you said, they did already create the uh, the CGI model. They also bring back the Mechleth that they made that they modeled. For those earlier episodes <laughs> uh, when, when we actually beam over to the Klingon bridge. But yeah, even though like a lot of the stuff, it is it is kind of silly. I mean, it's easy to, to hand wave. It is all just a computer simulation. It, it is all basically a video game. So the, the funny thing to me was also uh, Odo when he first shows up. Because, you know, it's cool when you see Uhura because you're, you're just like, oh, my God, who are we going to get next? It could be anybody. Yeah. And then when it was Odo and he does the harumph noise that he makes. <laughs> it was like classic Odo. And just, you know, after losing Renee only a, a couple of years ago. Um, and in our li- live audience, Pastel Pirate also enjoyed that moment. It looks like uh, she said they got Odo's scowl down pretty well. Yeah, these I thought these characters translated the animation yeah, pretty well. Odo's
1: face always looked like kind of a CGI simplified face. So yeah, if you can't get, get Odo right. What can you do?
0: <laughs> it feels it feels very like Clone Wars to me. Like when they would take actors that we we knew from Star Wars movies and have to translate them to their animation style and then you know we would we would see someone uh like samuel l jackson have his face replicated in their clone wars animation so
1: yeah i noticed the bridge it's a galaxy class bridge but they clearly tweaked the scale factor a bit to make it bigger no i think they're just
0: i think these guys are just really short because
1: nah, uh, uh, no, no, just the proportions are definitely enlarged beyond these guys just being okay.
0: short. Okay, because I noticed, like they, they they only come up to like Janeway's chest, like like she's yeah. she's a good bit taller than both of them.
1: Yeah, no, I, you're right. That's some of it. I think that's why it hit me so hard is because I. I didn't real. I don't tend to think of them as being as short as they actually are. And they blew up the bridge, and the two one two punch of that <laughs> seemed like almost felt like there was a scale problem. Like the, fal- uh, the my first thought was that the holodeck was malfunctioning somehow. But I think, I think they just wanted to make it look like if we made the next generation today, this is how we would have done the bridge. It would have been really big because that's how they are. <laughs>
0: I think they might have stretched it out from left to right a little bit to make it look better in a 16 by 9 aspect ratio as compared to 4 by 3. One of the reasons why they blew up the Enterprise D in Generations was because everything had been designed for that TV show to be presented on a 4 by 3 aspect ratio on TV. And then when they started doing movies, everything had to be in widescreen. Uh, That's why the Enterprise D exterior, you know, it's it's more of a, a boxy little thing. Whereas the Enterprise E, that first shot we see of it in first contact, it's long and stretched out from left to right, but it it looked cool. The lighting looked good.
1: Yeah, no, it looked beautiful, and it it's it's kind of like how they the stuff they did in Rogue One where it was how we remember it rather than how it actually was. Mm. That was their philosophy. And that's, I think, a little touch of this here. It's it's as impressive as it was supposed to be rather than a completely literal recreation of the bridge set. And I like it. I approve. I uh, I, I think that's a great idea. I'd honestly, if they were going to build the, rebuild the set for the show, uh, for some show, for live action, I'd actually like them to make it a little bit bigger and more impressive. Just make it look like you, so you don't immediately, Notice they've changed anything but bigger
0: <laughs> it is it was weird seeing uhura and spock on the galaxy class bridge and it was weird seeing odo there um <laughs> and it, this is actually supposed to be the enterprise d some of the displays say enterprise uh on them but yeah dal does terrible his score that he gets after lasting only uh, i think it's only a few seconds i don't even know if he if he lasted a, a full minute in there it, was, it went by really quick, but
1: I think they argued for more than a minute, but didn't they?
0: <laughs> well, I I'm I'm talking about like from like the time like they actually approached the ship, and yeah. then
1: I think the test started the moment he got the distress signal. But <laughs> and all of that arguing is why his scores are <laughs> so low. But
0: <laughs> yeah, he had a three percent captain <laughs> assessment score, two uh, percent in leadership, point one percent in judgment.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as he deserves. <laughs> Well does do we know these people? No, then fuck 'em. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's no, that's terrible, judgment. <laughs> that's terrible
0: judgement. That's terrible
1: judgement.
0: Uh but yeah, he he doesn't quit. There's uh countless more attempts that he runs through. We get this uh, this montage of failure. That all result in disaster every, every every time, which is how the Kobayashi Maru works, but of course he doesn't know that, and if, if you're new to Star Trek watching this, you wouldn't know that either, uh, but he does seem to eventually come super close to actually winning, and then botches it at the last minute. Uh, I, I think something else would have came along and ruined yeah, it for him. I, but... <laughs> I,
1: I th- in the novels, they just keep dropping Klingon ships yeah. on you until you die. That, that You yeah. can't beat, beat it because it just keeps it. I was
0: down waiting down. for the next one to to decloak any minute. But, uh, yeah. you know, we we finally reached that point where Spock gives him uh, some words of wisdom and tells him, you know, what it means to be a captain. He Deploys one of his classic catchphrases: "The good of the many outweighs the good of the few." And uh, and then you know, Dow learns from the computer that yeah, there was no uh, there was no way to win. It was about learning how to accept failure and defeat. I I do also uh, have to say that uh, one of the weird things is that the Klingons all kind of looked like the wharf style forehead to me. They all looked like a. Sons of Moog, like uh, the same ridge style as as Worf or Kern, but it's, it's just, like they don't seem that menacing. They look kind of uh they look kind of friendly. It's like, oh, if you look like Worf, you're probably a good guy, right?
1: <laughs> I guess. I, I mean, you're right. Now that I look at it, yeah, they they do all seem to have Moog family head ridges, but but I, I never thought of them as particularly friendly. I mean,
0: <laughs> I mean, they are blowing up the Enterprise.
1: Yeah, I love Pog. Just jumping on whoever's arguing side he just switches sides back and oh, yeah. forth over and over and then his mutiny!
0: Mutiny mutiny, mutiny 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 yeah yeah that was awesome let's do that but he gets he gets kicked out i like the moment where, where dal like finally has had enough and he kicks him out and then he says computer arch okay that was cool good use of continuity there when he says, uh, you know, computer, give me another engineer. And that's when we get the CGI Scotty, who, for whatever reason, the CGI model of Scotty, I thought he looked like the best out of her. Uh, looked really good. um, But it, I think Scotty just for whatever reason, I, I don't know if it was the uniform they gave him. They actually gave him a monster. He has his, his captain bars. He's like, you know, full respect to Scotty. Give him like the most prestigious look out of all of them.
1: Yeah. Maybe you get to maybe at some point you got to pick how they recorded, or yeah, I mean if you were still alive, I suppose. But when Holodecks came around, you get to pick your default appearance. <laughs> <laughs> are we okay with Doll being all racist to the holograms?
0: Um, Jelly Man, Pointy Ear, uh, yeah, those those are the nicknames he gives them. Um, Uhura's earpiece, Odo's Jelly Man, Spock is Pointy Ears, and Scotty Mustache. <laughs>
1: Yeah, things could have gotten so much worse with O'Hara. I, I, I'm glad. <laughs> I guess we stuck with the earpiece. Yeah, I was like, is that really. I guess, I mean, they're not real people and he's alone on the holodeck. So maybe, but <laughs> it also felt.
0: I don't know if there's anything wrong calling someone mustache but I guess maybe like pointy yeah. ears jelly man I don't know if that actually sounds bad like that's uh that's uh, one of these scenarios Odo ha- was doing some weird shape shifting or stretched or something like yeah. did something to look like he's made out of jelly.
1: Just a yeah. I don't know if I necessarily had a problem with it. Doll's not supposed to be a perfect person, and he knows they're <laughs> not real people. I oh yeah. I love this bit where they all hide behind the console. Yeah, <laughs> oh they, they they're
0: hiding behind Wharf Station. And uh, <laughs> Brian, let me ask because uh, I know like you've you've watched uh, all these episodes multiple times that they're pulling this recorded dialogue from. Uh, were you ever distracted by you know trying to figure out what episode what lines of dialogue were co- like uh some of them you know i just caught right off the bat and actually before you answer that i just want to i just want to tell you like i was going to try to find the dialogue from like every, I, or i considered it i was like should i actually try to find where every line of dialogue came from and the first thing that odo says is harumph and i was like i'm not gonna be able to find that harumph i'm gonna have to listen like every use of it and try to figure out like which is like no it's... but some people some people have figured it out i saw on, on trekcore.com so if you want a list of it you know go to go to Trekcore. Yeah. they they have it
1: there are nerds who will do this for you i i just that would have that would have been my response if you'd asked me that at the time <laughs> just wait someone else will do all the work for you
0: <laughs> but what was your experience uh hear, hearing all of that stuff
1: i mean on one hand a lot of the lines I could, even if I can't remember the specific episode, I can remember that line. I remember hearing that line and there were places, but I thought, you know, they're progr- They're not trying to say this is the real Spock. They're trying to say this is a recording of Spock or this is a simulation based on recordings. So the idea that it speaks with all these pre recorded kind of phrases actually fit really well in this context. So if they brought one of these characters back Uh, For real, using this trick, I think it would have to be in a very limited capacity. But because it's on the holodeck, the artificiality of it all... I, I was able to head head cannon that, yeah, this is what, these are all the reports and recordings from the bridge uh, that the computer is just playing those recordings when appropriate uh, from all the bits of dialogue and words they've got recorded of these people and probably only fabricating a sentence when it needs to. So yeah, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of down with it, but, yeah, I was very aware of the artificiality the whole way through, but I can't say I wasn't happy. I was happy and enjoying it, even though I could see the strings.
0: Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. Um, yeah, for me, it, just, it got like a little distracting when uh, I also noticed like a a change in quality. Like some of the the Tos dialogue, you could tell it wasn't recorded in as high as of quality as say like Odo's dialogue uh, from the the nineties or you know the the Gates Mcfadden stuff which was all all new like she actually yeah. obviously yeah. you know they needed someone to do that and
1: yeah it, it, i was wondering at first why why there's why have crusher on the bridge oh cuz she's the actress or, or actor rather <laughs> who said yes when they called around and said we need to get somebody on the bridge to be able to say whatever we need them to say
0: but and. originally when they first wrote this uh back in in 2019 Renee was still alive and they were they were expecting to get him in the studio and record new dialogue uh, as Odo. Okay. Yeah, sadly, like he didn't get that opportunity to to return back because that would have been a real treat uh, would have to been, to have yeah. him back as Odo.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh that would have been cool to get one more performance out of him. <laughs> so,
0: the so. the Odo dialogue that they pieced together, uh, I I thought actually I. Well, the Scotty stuff worked really well, too. It's only a couple times with Uhura and Spock where it kind of felt like, oh, yeah, they are just piecing stuff together. And some of it is a little bit more iconic dialogue. Like, I remember, like, the exact moment of the exact episode when it was said.
1: Yeah. Sometimes they had stuff recorded in slightly different situations and then they smack smash them together and do one paragraph or whatever Mm -hmm. of text uh, uh, of speech and you can tell that oh that's it's both sound like spock but that's definitely sounds like spock in a different recording situation and mood than this did but and 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 if you're there too close if the lines are too close together it feels like he's kind of zigzagging around in a way that you know using this sort of Using this stuff is all, 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 tends to sound when you're recycling dialogue from some other situations or lots of other situations.
0: Well, it was near the end when Spock gives his big speech at the end. And, and, you know, again, like I had a lot of fun with all this stuff. I liked seeing it. I loved hearing Nimoy as Spock again. Yeah. But it is supposed to be like the big uh, climactic moment for this storyline in the episode. And yeah, I, he so clearly went from, oh, that's dialogue from the enemy within on the original series. Oh, that's dialogue from unification part two of the next generation. Oh, that's dialogue from star Trek. 09. <laughs> and yeah. it was just like three <laughs> sentences back to back to back. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is, it, it is, you know, kind of a bumpy ride, yeah. but I loved the idea. I loved the theme. I loved the, the heart that went into all of that. I love that. Spock is the one teaching the character. Cause you know, Spock is the one who taught us when we were kids about the good of the many outweighing the good of the few. So yeah. I, I, I accept it. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll you know, yeah. just look the other way and, and, and give them a pass and accept it. And again, it is yeah. all artificial, so maybe it is a little wonky. In the yeah, holodeck.
1: Yeah, I I feel it was a very successful experiment. Uh, I wouldn't want to see them do this every episode, but it was great uh, to see this done. Uh, um, and I love Spock just pinching everybody. That was amazing. <laughs> I've always wanted to see something like that where, where, you know, everyone's doing a big, aggressive, bombastic cinematic fighting and, and Spock is just repeatedly, calmly, you know, doing minimal movement, pinching. Which is how
0: Nimoy wanted Spock to be nimoy was insistent yep. spock was an intellectual he's not an action hero uh yeah. unless unless he's like you know high on spores and trying to fight yeah. kurt or something <laughs> like that um yeah. or going into pawn far but normal spock under normal conditions yeah he will just take people down calmly with the vulcan nerve pinch that was the entire reason why that was uh yeah. created but so. they
1: I liked how they highlight that, that every, there's chaos, there's shouting, there's smoke, there's all Mm -hmm. of the laser beams.
0: ACDC playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, Zao doesn't use Beastie Boys. He uses, he uses um, ACDC.
1: And that's how we know he's not Captain Material yet. He's got (laughs) a ways to go. He has to get up to Beastie Boys.
0: (laughs) That that was the song uh, Thunderstruck, but it was like a cheap cover that... Um, only I, had the music. It's like they didn't. They didn't even shell out to buy like the. Uh, right, so the actual song. I don't, but that might have been like a little distracting if you had like the dialogue blasting yeah. in there. And, um, I had
1: to have somebody tell me that that was an actual song and not just oh, yeah. some random thing they put put in there. But well, all uh, ACDC
0: was... songs sound alike. So if you heard one, you've heard them all. But. Uh...
1: I did like, the only way out is chaos. I was like, oh, this guy is so ready for Doctor Who. But it's just, just just such a wonderful, like, I, and, and it is kind of that Captain Kirk school of computer repair mentality, where how do you build, beat the perfectly logical machine? You, you do something wildly illogical. So even though it didn't really work, per se exactly but uh and I, I i like the i like the energy behind it <laughs> so
0: it did again feel like playing a video game to me when he he gets the kobayashi maru distress call again and and he's like yeah 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 we know kobayashi maru and i was like oh yeah like he's he's watched this cutscene a number of times because he's keeps having to replay the same yeah, part yeah, of a video looking game. around
1: for the space bar
0: yeah yeah how do, how do uh, i skip cutscene?
1: Yeah, The first half of Spock's advice was clearly there because they had all this good Leonard Nimoy dialogue that they thought would fit, but Spock's basically advising him, you can't show any weakness. You have to seem perfect. I'm like, dude... Self-confidence in front of other people is not Dahl's problem. This man is wildly overconfident and refuses to take advice from other people. This is totally the wrong advice to give him. It's like you're just going to make him worse. But then we get a little more focused on trying to do what's best for the crew rather than what's best for you, which that was which he does
0: need to learn. And, you know, that's the conflict he's having at the beginning of the episode with the rest of the kids when they want to go to the Federation. He doesn't. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I need to, you know, do what's good for the group and not just what I want to do for myself.
1: Yeah. And I think the first stuff was only there because they had a bunch of good Spock dialogue.
0: To yeah, from from the, the, from the enemy within. And that, that yeah. does remind me, Um, I guess the last thing I have to say on the Kobayashi Maru stuff. But Aaron Waltke said that the way that he found all this dialogue, he did, you know, rewatch a lot of episodes and, and actually read through some scripts, but uh, he used a, an algorithm that was going and looking through scripts for certain certain characters saying certain keywords. And he pulled a lot of stuff that way with computer software, which I, I think is how the folks over at Trek Corps, you know not not to undermine the the quick work that they did, but I think that might have been how they were able to figure out what episodes all this came from so quickly.
1: Yeah, when they make, they get all the Star Trek characters in a YouTube video to sing a song together, you know, I, I think what you just do is you you take all the episode scripts off the internet, which are their they're, they're transcripts online, uh, and put them all into one document. And you just type in the words you want and hit search and find the one you want to use. Uh, it, it certainly takes time, but it is, it's it's certainly way faster than memorizing the entire, or re-watching the entire show so but oh. i enjoyed it. oh and I, I
0: did laugh i did laugh out loud when when dow high-fived uh spock's uh vulcan hand drive
1: i didn't know why spock said live long and prosper at that point that was the one point where it felt like we're just gratuitously recycling dialogue rather than it makes some sort of sense in this story but i did like his high five so i'm torn on that <laughs> moment
0: yeah well yeah I, I thought the live long and prosper was a little like does this Hologram know that this guy's about to like end the program, but yeah, it's like they they wanted that to be like Nimoy's last words in the episode. Yeah. It is what it is. Let's go ahead and talk about our uh B story. If you want to tell us uh what's going on uh in Sick Bay with uh the rest of the crew.
1: Uh Zero finishes patching up uh Gwen in Sick Bay, and we see a flashback to her creation at Tars Lamora. Very intriguing flashback, I might add. <laughs>
0: Yeah, which uh, I, I I like that. It gave the episode some meat uh, seen, seen 17 years ago, uh, the year 2366, really adds to the mysteries of the show because that is season three of Next Generation, and we know that, okay, so as early as back then, the Diviner was looking for the Proto-Star, but later we see Chakotay is captaining the Proto-Star, um, so... I, I said before how our friend Aaron Harvey had uh, speculated there would be time travel involved and the protostars actually from the future. I am I'm convinced that's the case now.
1: It's certainly going to take a very weird se- sequence of events to explain all of this. So uh yeah, time travel is as plausible as anything at this stage, because yeah, they either they're, they're ignoring large hunks of continuity, which seems really unlikely, or they are, there's something very strange going on with this storyline. And I mean, obviously I, I I don't think they're trying to say that before Chakotay joined the Maquis, he was in captain of the Protostar, right? They're, they're, they're not trying to say that. Uh, I mean, they didn't even bother. They didn't put him in the uniform for 2366 in that clip. Uh, that we 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 see of Chakotay. Yeah, and
0: it, it kind of looks like in some in some of that footage, it kind of looked like he had some gray in his hair. So yeah, I think that proto starship is from the future. They're currently in the year twenty three eighty three. Yes, um, I think it's only like ten or twenty years max into the future, though. Like it might be somewhere like Star Trek Picard in between the Picard flashbacks and the Picard season one. I think it might be like somewhere yeah. in like that time period. Um Yeah,
1: well, that would be that would be like 10 years. If you're 20 years, right. I think you're after Picard, but, Yeah, you'd
0: be after uh, Picard by uh 4 years.
1: Yeah. So, um yeah, I it does it feels like time ta- at this point, it feels like time travel would be the least convoluted (laughs) way to explain all of this yeah i think it's a safe bet at this point because yeah the ship looks so much more advanced than it probably should in 2383 i was intriguing to finally get some details on that dating uh and stuff and to get a star date star dates Um, yes (laughs) uh we learned some other cool uh, i i fun stuff uh I love the line about uh, you're perfectly fine, except for your low serotonin levels.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. With, with zero and Gwen. <laughs>
1: Pretty good for a children's show to get their science. That's more right. That that science is more on, on point than a lot of, uh, a lot of live action Star Trek.
0: Zero also reveals that he had a Medusan hive mind. He was connected to, um, and th- that the diviner pulled him from that. So does he not remember things from, because, you know, the Medusans knew all about the Federation. They would know about Starfleet and stuff. Uh, does he, like, not get to have access to all that knowledge now that he's separated from the Hive Mine? Um, it's the opposite of Seven of Nine. You know, she got pulled out of the Collective, and she's, they, they actually say in one episode, like, you're probably the smartest human being who's ever existed because you you remember all this stuff from being in the Borg Collective.
1: I mean, all the other humans that are in the collective too. But yes, <laughs> but yes, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: yeah, no, I maybe if you're if you can always look it up in Google, you don't store it in your own brain. Kind of logic, yeah. It what you know, since 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 Zero never personally interacted with the Federation uh, or directly or interacted with somebody who told them about the personally told them about the Federation. It was just something that was there to look up uh or or maybe zero was a little wee little baby um just just a just a spark in 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 his in in, in there a in daddy's eye so.
0: yeah we, we don't know i guess how medusans are mature or how old uh zero is or how they how they grow up we do know how gwen grows up though we yes. learned that she was a a clone of her dad which I've seen this done in fiction before. Like the one that stands out to me is Wolverine from Marvel comics. There's a clone of him, uh, X 23. They, they, they do a version of it in the movie, Logan, uh, it's where I was like, Oh, we made a clone of you except a girl. And like, that's not how like cloning or DNA well, works. But...
1: honestly, all you have to do is repeat the where that pull that Y chromosome X's? out and replete it with one of the Xs. Okay. Now, ter- cloning a woman and turning them into a man is much trickier because you, you need have a to Y go, chromosome. You need to go get that Y chromosome from somebody else, so it's not quite a perfect clone. Okay. In that. But, uh, I thought so you yeah. would need
0: a I thought you would need a, a different X chromosome but okay that makes sense then and it, I mean it is alien DNA the uh, theaka species yeah. we don't know how they work. I did notice a comment about this though in our live audience from GL47 who was asking if, uh, Gwen, you know, matured 17 years ago. And I actually uh, saw Aaron Walkey talk about this. He said, like, no, Gwen ages normally like a human. There's actually a time cut within the flashback when we cut from the fetus to cut to her as a uh, as a, uh, a, you know, a big kid with her hand on the, the tube that her dad is in. That's that's actually uh, a passage of time has taken place between those uh, two shots.
1: Does she know everything in this flashback? Because she's not even a she. She's just a gleam in Daddy's eye at the beginning of this flashback. So we're not seeing her remembering stuff unless somebody's given her an upload of memories from before she was, you know, gestated. Right. I I think Uh, this is just
0: for the the audience to see. I don't think it's actually her memory.
1: Yeah, which, yeah, just, oh, and by the way, we're going to cut away, like, I don't know, this felt like the sort of thing that should be attached to a shot of of the Diviner sitting in his captain's chair or rumbling evil thoughts about our heroes and then he gets wistful and looks off into space and then we get this flashback uh, rather than having it stuck in the middle of this episode like this but uh, I like the flashback and I liked the stuff I learned about it I just felt weird that it was kind of stuffed in here and no one's remembering it um, but uh, yeah it was uh, also um, Dreadnought Diviner asks Basically, like he, asks, he needed his help. help. Yeah. He asks him, would you do this for me rather than just make me a clone? He's kind of like, oh, I'm going to need to negotiate with this guy to get this to happen, which changes the power play. That You know, I yeah. assume dreadnock was his his subservient, minion, but
0: he, but he's yeah. not. But that's how we we've been reading it all along. And D- dreadnock mentions the order. You know, we can't defy the order. Um, and I, I don't know who the order is, but I, it it sounds like the diviner has his own masters, and there's a higher power that you know that that Drednock, I guess views as having more authority than even the diviner. And if they say don't do something, he'll he's not going to do it even if the diviner tells him to, and unless the diviner can talk him into it.
1: The diviner is going to be on the side of the angels by the end of this show, isn't he? They're all going to be fighting the Order and dreadnought That that's where this is headed. Oh, uh, and then <laughs> dreadnought
0: is going to be like the the true believer. He's going to be the loyalist, and
1: yeah, yeah. The Diviner just wants his he's, he's going to
0: do it. He's going to do a Darth Vader sacrifice for Gwen. Yeah, probably, and, <laughs> and die. But she forgives him. It's like uh, I've seen it all before.
1: I hope he switches sides and gets to hang out and help them a while rather than switches <laughs> sides and then dies immediately, because you're right, that would be very Darth Vader.
0: I mean, they um, are investing a lot of screen time in these baddies. We we see the Diviner and Dreadnought for at least one scene in every episode, which I wasn't expecting them to do that. Um, it's kind of like almost like Disco Season 1 where it keeps cutting back to the Klingons, but even even more consistent than that with every episode.
1: If they'd stuck this this bit at the beginning, this flashback at the beginning, it would have felt very Picard. Remember how Picard for, opened every episode with with some sort of weird flashbacky thing or something?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think all but one episode of Star Trek Picard opened with a flashback.
1: Yeah, so sticking this in the front would have at least made it feel like, well, they're doing what that other Star Trek show did. But.
0: Mm. But yeah, I like uh, I like seeing it. Um, we we do learn a little bit more about the Diviner, but like I said at the top of the show, it also raises more questions. You know, what is the order? What, why does he have like this bad health? Why is he the last of his species? Uh, Hillman Gwen. Why is the protostar his solution?
1: If the protostar can accidentally travel through time, then maybe that's why he wants it—is to go back in time and save his people. That would. I
0: I was sense. thinking that too. Um, yeah. Or use the power source to like revive their home world or bring it back or something. But, uh, you know, speaking of of these mysteries and trying to figure out what's going on, that's exactly what Gwen and Zero are doing when they try to piece together why the Diviner has been seeking the Protostar. And uh, they discover that Janeway has classified memories that she does not have access to. Uh, but Gwen is able to decrypt files that they find that have been coded in her native language, the, uh, the language of Solemn. Uh, which I'm told is the name of, of the vodna Akot homeworld, but also the name of their their primary language. Um, so the fact that it, this ship has data that's coded in her language, that makes me think that either her or the diviner at some point in the future code this on the ship and then it went back in time and the diviner's looking for it or something like that. or maybe maybe like he maybe he knows this ship has information from the future. And that's why he's trying to grab it. It does feel yeah. kinda like discovery sphere data when they're like, Oh, it's gonna take us months to uh you know look through all of this and they can use this as a as a plot generator, you know. They they get data on this one thing over here, and so they go to look at it, or yeah. uh, they they're able to use it to solve a, a problem at some other point. You know, so, something like that, but Yeah. I don't I, know, what do you think about
1: admit- yeah, I, I know. I, I'm interested. I don't quite know how all these puzzle pieces are going to fit together, so it's hard for me to judge. But yeah, there's definitely some, some questions there. I thought it was weird that it took Hollow Janeway so long to realize the data in her head is classified. That's missing um, because. Yeah, she, it's not missing. It's there. It's just oh, locked yeah. under some sort of classification, but she doesn't immediately, immediately realize that. And it could be bad writing. Or what if Captain Chakotay, in a moment of desperation, as the bad guys are flooding in or as the escape pod speeds away, says, computer, classify all information related to the proto warp drive and the computer on the protostar just goes through and locks everything that's related to it including the ship's mission because the ship's mission was to try out the proto test the proto drive so it gets locked and all but it it, it it's not a carefully planned classification it's just one of those the computer just goes through and sweeps through and does everything anything that's remotely related gets classified and that's why it's all kind of a mess and Janeway has holes and stuff uh because it wasn't a carefully wasn't a properly subscribed uh, setup protocol but just mm. some emergency command yeah last left last everything.
0: minute because we we yeah. know that the ship was boarded there was like imminent danger in that that little yeah. bit of a uh, holographic Chakotay recording that we see at the end and even that's kind of like jumbled and we don't hear everything real clearly what's going on. The only thing that doesn't explain, though, is why is it coded in the the language of, of the Vada Akat people?
1: Yeah, there's more to this than 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 just what I've said. There there there's some there were yeah. some more steps involved, but that could be part of the puzzle. Is is if you just gave a if you just tell the compute an AI computer to do something like that, but don't give it any parameters, it'll kind of make a mess of it. And maybe even some of Janeway's odd, slightly odd behavior could be caused by classification glitches related to this to whatever happened in the past. So like her weird comment about i mean it was funny but i also doesn't really make it i need some coffee before you mess with my head you know uh but yeah i i I like the idea uh, of of that 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 could be what happened uh that there's there's some big disaster and and they wanted to keep the technology of the protostar as locked down as possible you know prime directive and all that
0: they might have like a future version of gwen Like is like there with him on with Chakotay on the protostar or something, because she says that the Vodnakot has never had contact with Starfleet. So they shouldn't they shouldn't have my language on their ship. But maybe like she grows up and is then working with Chakotay on the ship in the future. I don't know. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, because, um yeah, it's not it's not real obvious what the the answer is going to be. The time travel thing, I I think, is obvious, but the uh, the classified data, the language of solemn being used to to code secrets on the ship, that's still a pretty big mystery.
1: It sounds like they have it all worked out, though, because they wouldn't be drop. uh, I wouldn't think they drop weird clues like this unless it all made sense from. Yeah,
0: they they were writing this two years ago, um, or almost three years ago, I guess now.
1: Yeah, it raises a question of this being aimed at kids solidly. How complicated of a time travel story can you do? And obviously, Steve Moffat wrote Doctor Who, which is heavily designed to very strongly to be kid friendly, and they did some pretty and time complex, travel friendly. Yeah, yeah, they did some pretty some pretty complicated plots with time travel. In that, I'm just wondering, you know, the the sort of complex stuff. That you can do for when you're aiming at young adults and, and adults for time travel is maybe how much of that is going to be understandable to a younger kid, uh, depending on how complicated you make it. Uh, so, I'm I, I, and I don't even know what the answer to that question is. Kids these days have grown up watching Groundhog Day and stuff. These This stuff might all be a lot more... Yeah. Uh, It might be much, much more old hat and and obvious to kids of this generation than it was when I was growing up. And and the weirdest thing I saw was like, you know, City on the Edge of Forever or something. (laughs) I
0: I remember, you know, seeing Back to the Future when I was really young. I I watched the first one around the time that uh, parts two and three were coming out in theaters. Yeah. And I, I was able to I was able to follow it I think or I don't know maybe, maybe that's why like I understood time travel because I watched uh, Back to the Future when I was young enough that it, it just uh, my brain adapted to understand that type of type of story but yeah I'm I'm intrigued I, I like I liked that it's not just stringing us along that it is explaining some things to us but also giving us like new hooks to uh, you know to ponder and to keep watching week to week and see what will happen and. Uh, so I'm enjoying the ride thus far with this uh, the larger story of the, the mysteries of the Diviner and the Proto-Star.
1: And it gives us a really solid cliffhanger. I'm like, oh, fuck, I want to know what yeah. happens next. <laughs> you know, you're, you're really... Yeah.
0: Um, but, I mean, that means we're going <laughs> to really get... Good. I mean, they're going to have to pick up on this next week, you know, so at least there's going to have to be like a conversation about Janeway trying to figure out, you know, like we need to solve this. I think this might determine where they go next. I'm not really sure where you go from here as far as like their actual physical location in the Gamma Quadrant. There are fun things to play around with in the Gamma Quadrant. You know, it might be nice to see what the Dominion is up to. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be nice for anyone bumping into them, but it might be fun for the, the audience to see that. I think yeah. it'd be really cool. Like, okay, no surprise that uh, the big Deep Space Nine fan is going to be the guy who says this, but... If they go through the Bajoran wormhole and actually visit the station, I just want to go back to Deep Space Nine. <laughs> One yeah. of these shows, we have five shows, somebody please. <laughs> I don't care if I go, I don't care if I go there on the Protostar, I don't care if I go there on the La Serena, I don't care if I go there on the Cerritos, I just we really want to go back to Deep Space Nine. We
1: got a flashback in Lower Decks, but... But yeah, I I think one one of the things I realized by making the drive this stupid fast is that they can basically drop these kids into any environment that ex- Star Trek environment that that exists in twenty twenty three eighty three. Um, So if they just want to have them show up on Vulcan and have some quick adventure and then they, for whatever reasons, jump on and yank the drive and jump away and end up back in the Gamma Quadrant, they can do that. Uh, You have to have enough rationalization as to why the Federation doesn't stop them and say, we want our ship back. But it might even be a ship from the future, so the Starfleet might not even realize they should be asking for it back. So, yeah, you you can drop them in on the Dominion. You can drop them in on the Kazon. You can drop them in on Vulcan, on Antioch. Doria, uh, as long as you're careful with why, uh, come up with a good excuse why they don't get stuck there, but have to keep moving. Maybe they're being chased by the diviner.
0: You, yeah. you well, he's gonna of have a hard time catching them now. Yeah. So yeah, how, how's he gonna continue to be a threat if they're so far away? What I think will happen, Brian, is that the diviner has Chakotay captured, and they're gonna have to go rescue him, and they're gonna have to go face mm-hmm. off. They're gonna go back to the diviner.
1: Yeah, or or Gwen says, you know they they get to the point where they oh we need the the macguffin and Gwen says i yeah. know where we can get the macguffin it's back on my father's they, they ship they need that uh those crystals
0: the the chimerium
1: yeah something. which
0: we yeah. do we do see that they have some of that on the ship it's the i guess the the sea story of the episode which is not much to talk about at all but rock talk does see murph uh she, she's worried that he's eating the chimerium but no he's eating <laughs> photon grenades, which are a thing in Star Trek. Uh, Admiral Layton in season four, when he tried to have that coup and take over Earth, he's talking about like, oh yeah, we need like some photon grenades. And some aliens have used photon grenades over the years, I, I think. Uh, yeah,
1: they, they, the thing that was odd is when we've seen them use, they were a stun weapon um and here they talk about them as if there's some sort of destructive web here they're they, the dialogue clearly indicates they're just assuming they're like a photon torpedo a photon yeah doorhead. they're anti because gamma rays are what you get when you mix matter and antimatter together uh which would be a hell of a grenade by the way i mean you better have a good throwing arm if you. Yeah, that's a an high antimatter.
0: yield grenade <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh it, it looks like a pretty high yield explosion in in murph uh but yeah. uh the- the the reveal here is that like oh no he's actually fine and Rock Talk concluding that uh perhaps he is indestructible and we get a cute little fart joke to uh, make the <laughs> make the kids get a cheap laugh out of it but I it is kind of dumb and silly uh or cute depending on how you interpret it but I think that they are just setting up Murph to do something crazy uh some yeah. indestructible type. He's going to he's going to go inside of a warp core or a star is going to go nova on him or something, you know, something extreme yeah. is going to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, Murph surviving the explosions if they're photon grenades like the ones in Voyager that just stun you that actually but they make a big deal about, "Oh no, it's going to be really bad if one yeah. goes off inside you." Um also, Murph can stop gamma rays because, well, I guess Rock Talk's a rock. Maybe, maybe gamma rays don't bother her. Maybe that whole chamber is irradiated. But
0: <laughs> yeah, stay, out, stay but, out of that cargo bay or whatever they're in.
1: But the um, gamma rays tend to have an incredibly uh, be, be real, real physics. They they're really good at punching through anything. You need a lot of concrete and lead to slow down gamma rays. So not only does does it not bother Murph but it also does not bother rock talk after it passes through Murph. Yeah. so apparently or he it... he might
0: have absor- uh, absorbed it all uh yeah yeah he's that's... he's got a big appetite he's always you know consuming stuff <laughs> that looks like it should be inedible so i don't i don't know why he's like breaking down all this matter and energy but uh i guess um i guess he needs it for something
1: he's going to just lay a bunch of eggs everywhere and there's going to be <laughs> murfs everywhere
0: <laughs> uh as bad as tribbles yeah. Um. I think that is everything I have for the episode breakdown. Uh, Brian, are there any final thoughts on this episode Kobayashi that you would like to uh, get out there?
1: Just one. We have an episode on the holodeck with Spock extensively with Spock, and they don't mention that Spock invented the Kobayashi Maru test. That felt weird to me. That's like having Kirk on, If they'd had Kirk on the bridge, a simulation Kirk show up for a bunch of dialogue, and he never mentioned I'm the only one who beat this test. <laughs> so.
0: It would have been it would have been cool to have that confirmed in the in the Prime timeline. Because I that's always been my assumption that it must have happened in Prime as well as Kelvin. That's why Spock said in the Wrath of Khan I'd never taken it before. Yeah. You know, if I'm the guy who invented it, I, of course yeah. never had to take it myself. Uh, so I, I agree with you. They they should have they should have said that.
1: Yeah, you can make the argument they didn't mention it in Star Trek too, but then <laughs> nobody knew that in Star Trek too, right. So it was a, it, it's not quite as weird there as it is here where every, we all know it. But.
0: Uh, in, in our audience, Stress Free K is saying Murph and baby Grogu should enter a hot dog eating contest. That would be a cool crossover of <laughs> it. <but>, uh, Stress Free <laughs> K, I think that Murph could eat Grogu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he only eats like a you know some frogs and some eggs. Murph eats <laughs> f- fucking f- photon, photon gr- grenades. grenades. Yeah, with gamma ray explosions. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and not the stun photon grenades from Voyager, but actual photon warhead
0: grenades. Yeah. Uh, like we, a photon we might see him eat a photon torpedo before the before the end of the show. <laughs> but, well, yeah, uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and go into the Gorn egg section of the show because. Uh, Surprised, surprised, there's a lot in this episode. It's almost like a Lower Decks episode with all the stuff they crammed into this one. But these are all of our Easter eggs, in-jokes, and continuity connections that I I thought were worth bringing up. I'm just going to run through these as quick as I can. But, you know, starting off, we do see the game from the Next Generation episode. The game, the silly little cone and disc game. Uh, Looks looks how it looked then. Uh, On the holodeck, there's uh, a lot of stuff going on there. We see Andoria 4, which I assume is Andoria or Andors. They called it on DS9. We guess the icy moon that the Andorians and the Anar are from. Uh, Seti Alpha 5 from Space Seed and uh, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, uh, is a, apparently a place where you can go skydiving. And <laughs> I, I like that when they, they have Seti Alpha 5 on the holographic menu. It even says uh sector uh two five seven one two, I think. That's the actual location of Seti Alpha Five in uh the Wrath of Khan. But yeah, the uh it has the same kind of you know, dusty, windy, bronze colored skies. Who
1: wants to skydive in a place that's so cloudy that you can't see that you're miles above the <laughs> surface? I mean, isn't that the whole point of skydiving is that you get the thrill of looking the down view? and being... The view, yeah. If this, yeah. You might as well just be in one of those wind cylinder tunnels, you know, that they blow you up in and just fill it with cloud fog. And,
0: it's an know, odd, <laughs> um, odd experience. You have a skydive somewhere where you can't see like five feet in front of your face. hadn't thought of that this is
1: the garden spot of seti alpha five i can (laughs) barely see it (laughs) uh
0: also we see the uh the i guess recreation of of planet vulcan uh and the the mention of the uh the caliph caliphie gladiatorial combat uh and janeway saying that uh jane Eyre is one of her favorites uh she had a kind of similar victorian holodeck program on voyager uh, the Janeway Lambda One program, which they kind of dropped quickly. It kind of felt like they were leaning up to something and then kind of gave up on showing us that holodeck program, uh, which I don't blame them because that's kind of weird and boring.
1: <laughs> they even make fun of it kind of being yeah. boring in this episode. <laughs> uh,
0: they name drop uh, Deadwood, South Dakota. That was the setting of the Western program and a fistful of datas. Uh, also, the uh, Paxal Paxu- Resort. Was that a... Uh, I guess kinda of Hawaiian style, South Pacific style resort that Neelix came up with on in Voyager season three that I think only appears in Voyager Season Three, no other season. Uh there's a shitload of Starfleet badges on display in the Kobayashi Maru scenario. Uh, they have pretty much everything. Like some things are from like alternate timelines, like uh all good things or like the future imperfect combats oh, that also shows up in parallels. That
1: means that somehow those badges are part of Starfleet. Yeah, are part then. of Starfleet. Yeah. That's
0: what I concluded. Or part
1: of this timeline. Yeah. That's
0: um. There's also the 29th century uh, time fleet badge, which that one's a little harder to explain. There's the Bureau of of temporal whatever. Then that like it, yeah. that had to investigate Cisco. So yeah. may- maybe they have that as a as a badge in the 24th I mean, century.
1: In my role playing game, we literally the that set a little bit before Nemesis. They lit we literally had the Tem- Bureau of Temporal Investigations reorganized into Time Fleet. Hmm. Since we don't know when Time Fleet was founded, I decided shortly before Nemesis is when, and so that we do have that emblem. It actually made sense makes sense in my game continuity. But you're right; from just watching the TV show, it feels weird.
0: Um, there's uh, there's TOS, there's the motion picture, there's the uh, Star Trek 2 onward movies, there's uh, Next Generation, there's Voyager, there's even the. Do you remember like the 30th anniversary logo, like that, that big oval with like the Delta in it from like 1996 that they used in like a lot of marketing and stuff?
1: That was right around the time of Generations?
0: It was uh, right around the time of First Contact. Uh, but they, uh, it almost looks like a, a disco 32nd century combat okay
1: yeah no no i like yeah. that logo a lot i've got it <laughs> that my thing to shows
0: get... up the, the thing that like paramount promotional people came up with in the 90s shows up yeah, here interesting so, so
1: that
0: uh, but nothing from discovery even though they showed the actual crossfield class ship a few episodes ago they didn't have any of the discovery badges which i would have just gone ahead and, and thrown them in there because then i think you would have had everything
1: I guess people have looked, you're sure the discovery badges yeah. aren't in that mess somewhere? Huh. Now that is weird that they would have such like not uh, formerly non-canonical badges <laughs> and yet not the disco badge.
0: Um but we we get our five uh, legacy characters and there is the Kobayashi Maru herself is actually the design that was first used for a Star Trek novel book cover. And then uh, later used in the Star Trek Online video game. It's very similar to the same shapes, although the Star Trek Online game has a Kobayashi Maru that's uh, similar in design to like the Constitution refit or the Reliant, like that style of nacelles and saucer. Uh, the, the version that actually appears in uh, this episode of Prodigy looks a little bit more TOS style. With, with rounder nacelles and more TOS-type design aesthetics. But yeah, they they have made this design canon. At least it's canon for the, the simulations. That is what the Kobayashi Maru looks like. The, the specs that are up on screen uh, are the exact same as what was used in The Wrath of Khan. Um, the location of Gamma Hydra Section 10, which Gamma Hydra is also close to where the Battle of the Binary Stars was in Star Trek Discovery, but, you know, the same location in in the neutral zone or what would have been the neutral zone between Klingon space and Federation space. They mention uh, JT Kirk. Makes sense. His name would pop up somewhere as the one guy who beat the program. Uh, when Dow says fire everything, I think that was an intentional nod to Eric Bana's Nero in Star Trek 09. No. He, he has the <laughs> almost exact same delivery of of the same line fire everything. I had not caught that. Yeah, Dal also says uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. Uh, so he quotes both Khan and then one of the Khan knockoffs. <laughs> both get quoted. And the, uh, the Klingon bridge, uh, it's not quite a same copy of the motion picture bridge, but I think it's the most similar to that than... Anything that we've seen used uh, for a bird of prey? No,
1: uh, I, everything I saw of the, the Klingon Bridge made it look to me like a whole lot like the standard next generation Deep Space Nine Klingon Bridge set that they had.
0: But their, their view screen looked like the bird of prey view screen. So <laughs> I thought it was kind of a, an amalgam bridge. I'll have to double check on that. Uh, Ryan, you being the big star date enthusiast, we do get a star date uh, for the flashback 43929.9. If you look um, that up it means this takes place in between the TNG season 3 episodes Seric and Menaja Troy
1: yeah it looks like, i mean it's a december date i would get uh, <laughs> just looking at it i i'd have to you know run it through a translator but it's it's clearly late late 20 uh 2366.
0: and then the uh, the last thing i have i just wanted to call attention to the dedication they put up at the end of the episode in memory of uh, Rene abargenois. James Duhan and Leonard Nimoy, who inspire us to go boldly, and uh, that's uh, that's kind of cool that they did that. Um, you know, I like that that they were able to let us see those characters again and and treat it with a lot of respect. And even though I think some of the some of the dialogue came off as kind of clunky, it was still a lot of fun to experience. Agreed. <laughs> That's all I got. I had a lot of fun getting Prodigy back on the air. I, I'm actually digging Discovery a hell of a lot right now, but I like the variety of shows. And, you know, it, it feels like we we can actually avoid franchise fatigue now by by having all these radically different tones in all these different shows. And uh, it was a lot of fun just uh, revisiting these characters and, and being reminded of the things that I like about this show. And actually... Uh, enhancing what I like about it and, and adding more to what I like. So I'm very excited to see the remaining four episodes that we're going to get for this block of Prodigy. And then it's going to be exciting to go back to Discovery after, uh it, you know, being being kept away, being kept at bay and having like Discovery withdrawals. Like I need to know, I need to know what happens next. I need to know what's going on with Book and Burnham. And then getting to to finish that season off with its, its remaining six episodes is going to be exciting as well. We're going to be covering all of it, though. We're going to have... Content every Friday night, discussing each episode each week. Same thing for Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, everything else coming out this year. So, lots to look forward to until next week. As always, live long and prosper, y'all.
1: Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts,
0: Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com/text-trek, and follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you
1: and take care.